Welcome. Ugh, I'm off the charts. Too hot. Welcome to the Green Majority, Canada's longest-running environmental news hour. It is. And we're going to do some international, national, local climate environment news. And then Stefan's going to interview Mr. Tim Nash. Uh, what's his title now? He is the founder and president of Good Investing. What are you talking about? Well, we're talking about the state of the market, which is apparently bad. Oh. We talk about uh, gas prices, which are high. <laughs> and we talk about how people in the States are starting to call sustainable investing, quote unquote, woke capital, mm. and attacking it as if it is somehow a part of this culture war that they've made up. Mm. Uh, and they're re- trying to regulate companies and people with money so that they can't not give money to fossil fuels. That's how this works, which is perhaps the least free market thing I've ever heard of, but there we are. We haven't introduced ourselves, though. Uh, what's your name? I'm Stephen Hostetter. Oh. Um, and I'm David Hostetter. And I am Lauren Elizabeth Corlator. But before we get into the news, I do have something I'm thinking about, which I think is the biggest news story of the past few days. You have a news item you want to start with? I have a news with. item I want to start with. All right, go for it. So for those of you who may have missed this, the past couple of days have seen ten another ten. I must just say I shouldn't necessarily say another. Have seen a ten billion dollar loan guarantee to TMX, which is the pipeline out out on the west coast that we have talked about many times on this show. And I wanted to set this up a little bit to explain to people how annoying this is. So the first thing to know about this is ten billion dollar loan guarantee for people who may not understand what the loan guarantee means, it's not exactly free money because the idea is you're going to get the money back. But the government is basically saying that if TMX loses this money, then the investors who put their money in will get paid back by the government of uh, the federal government. And so the federal government is basically saying that they will lose up to $10 billion on this if TMX is not built or if they cannot repay you know, this amount of money. So then let's set this up for why it's so annoying. A, this comes after the announcement of Minister Freeland back in February, saying that no new public funds would go into this project. And it also comes after the announcement of COMP last year that Canada would stop supporting fossil fuel projects overseas, a decision that was to impact Export Development Canada. And so, in perhaps the most not technically going against their word, but laughing in the face of the spirit of it, We have a situation where the government, through Export Development Canada, is supporting domestic, so not international, fossil fuel uh, expansion by promising to spend money, but only if it fails, which it really should, if we are to hit our emission reduction targets that the federal government set up. And all of this is to save a project which costs have ballooned from to, sorry, $21 billion up from $12.6 billion dollars which was the estimate even less just last year. So, like, they're not, none of this is technically lying, which is, I think what annoys, like, every part of this is theoretically true, and yet it seems so obviously against everything they were obviously implying in every other instance that I'm left baffled and very annoyed. I mean, like, yes, we're not exactly surprised because they're always trying to find ways, seemingly, trying to find ways to funnel more money into this project to continue to prop up this industry, despite all the promises, despite all the pledges, Christia Freeland clearly 
does not care about climate change. It's so not a priority for her. And we know it's not a priority for her. We know it will likely continue to not be a priority for her. So like, no, no one is surprised, but it is just like one more kind of like, I don't know, nail in the coffin of like any sort of hope or optimism about how this government specifically is ever going to show up for climate. And then of course, it just like leads me down this really depressing path of like, okay, so nothing's really meaningfully going to get done with this government in the next few years, because even though we do have an environment minister like Stephen Guibault, who theoretically gets it, theoretically comes from an activist background, theoretically understands what's happening he is so hobbled by the party line that it ultimately doesn't make that much of a difference what type of person you have over the triples um environment climate change canada well it's you know it's it's okay because doug ford has a double digit lead in polling here in ontario it's fine we're it's all going to be okay oh don't even get me started right we were all so and and like we know how this happened right everybody was so upset that doug ford was elected a few years four years ago People started organizing. It seemed like we were finally like where we're going to act preemptively. Everybody was going to get their ducks in a row. We were going to find new amazing candidates. We were going to make sure the NDP came in or at least Doug Ford was voted out in some capacity. And then COVID happened. So then everybody's organizing capacity pivoted from thinking about electoral politics in a couple of years to like mutual aid and making sure their friends and their neighbors and their loved ones were surviving. And that took all of the air out of organizing like out of progressive organizing in Ontario over the last couple of years. And yeah, like you said, Ford is by far and away the the clear winning contender in in less than a month now. So and it's amazing given how unpopular almost everything he did was, you know, which is kind of impressive. It's it's really kind of impressive that like is it the, the amount of the all of the ways he gutted the environment in the beginning of the uh, of his tenure. Now he's like, well, we have to build these new gas plants because we have no new, we have no other energy online. It's like that's because you literally canceled all the energy that could have been online four years ago, and he allowed us to sleepwalk into wave after wave after wave of COVID, and yet somehow manages to have all the people think that all of the COVID stuff was Trudeau for some reason, which doesn't make any sense. And for those of you who are listening and may not be aware of electoral or of jurisdictional realities. Doug Ford controls all of the mandates that you've experienced internally in Ontario. If you traveled, sure, but I don't think the traveling set of people are the people who are going to tip the scales in this election. You know, there are no, some like, thousands of people who have died in the last few years died on his watch. It is we can we can place the we can trace the blame to somebody and the blame is and the blame is on Doug Ford. He's gutted healthcare. He's gutted education. He insisted on children going back to school when that really wasn't a viable option from a public health standpoint. He made it he like hospitals were ill-equipped to deal with this. Lessen like lowering mask mandates, getting rid of vaccine mandates right after every like right after the convoy came to Ottawa. Like it no, he has continuously messed up time and time again in, in like in almost intentionally, you know what I mean? Like doing these things maliciously over the last four years has cost thousands of people their lives, millions of people their livelihoods, and yet people are still gonna turn around and vote for him. What, because they're afraid of Andrea Horvath? Like I don't, I don't understand it anyway. We're not doing great folks, but what is doing great is community radio. So on to the this one specific wildflower that Dave's going to tell us about. The Gastheranthus extinctus, a kind of wildflower, was recently rediscovered in Ecuador after not having been seen for almost 40 years. 
They called it the extinctus because it was thought to be extinct. I don't know exactly how that works. You discover a flower and you're like, this flower is already extinct, therefore we're Latinizing its extinction. I don't know, but the point is the flower was thought to be extinct, now it's been rediscovered, the world is a magical place. Second, Saudi researchers, now they don't have the product, right? but they have a proof of concept for a potential product. Okay. Uh, for a system that uses solar power to absorb water and grow spinach in the brutal desert heat. So if they succeed after this proof of concept in creating the system as a viable product, then they can grow food in terrible conditions, which is nice. And California, this is the third good, I have other good stories, but this is the third good story that Stefan wanted to clump together here. California has a plan to stop allowing new gas-powered cars to be sold in the state by 2035, which is expected to impact the entire U.S. auto industry because of how much influence California holds. I mean, the wildflower is obviously cool, as is you know our the fact that if we can successfully you know grow food in extreme heat, that's going to be important in the near future. But the one I'm going to take a second on to focus on is the Cal is Cal uh, sorry is the California news. Because it's not just that the United States uh, who will be impacted by this, but probably Canada as well. You can sort of trace back the influence of California on Canadian f- fuel efficiency standards time and time again. I, th- I had a professor back in, u- in, hi- in I had a professor back in university who at one point basically said that like whenever California changed it, Canada would eventually change it because really because when California leads, no automaker is going to make vehicles that can't be sold in California. You know, that's 30, 40 million people in this, that state who, so they're just going to make it up to that standard. And so it becomes easy for other jurisdictions to adopt those standards And because the car companies will stop fighting them. The car companies are going to fight anywhere. They'll fight in California because they're so often the leader on fuel efficiency and things like this. And so if you can, if this is good news, not just for California, not just for America, but for us as well, because... It should help hasten the that change. At one point, at least, like Canada's um, like EV standards were going to be tied to California's, if I'm, if I'm correct, right? And I believe that is still the case. So, so yeah, if California is making progressive change, that's great because it means that we are going to be on that same track, which I understand to be the case. It's like anyway, yes, yes. you are correct. It is the biggest auto market. I in North America. So once they make that shift, then all the automakers will fall in line and the rest of the jurisdictions like Ontario's will fall in line as well. So yes, this is good news. Thank God. And continuing with climate environment news, 20% of reptiles are at risk of extinction. Uh, due to habitat loss from farming, logging, and general development. A study out of the University of Bonn suggests that meat consumption needs to drop 75% globally to hit Paris climate targets. A recent storm in South Africa was the deadliest on record, killing almost 500 people. The death toll was exacerbated by bad housing as a lot of cheap housing has been built on cheap land far from job prospects, so people are forced to live in bad houses if they want to find work. Uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, the president of South Africa, uh, as a result, has pledged to increase investment in climate adaptation. 
Wildfire smoke is threatening the ozone, possibly with great enough intensity to undo the success of the Montreal Protocol, which banned the refrigerant that put a hole in the ozone in the 80s. And India and Pakistan are undergoing a brutal heat wave with max temperatures the highest they have been in 122 years. A glacier recently melted in Pakistan and destroyed an important bridge that connected Pakistan and China. And IPCC lead author Chandi Singh said the heat wave is testing the limits of human survivability. It was, it was over 40 degrees Celsius for over a week, I believe. So we did mention it got a little bleak. And every once in a while, you, at least I personally come across a new story of the ways in which climate change or its downstream impacts will affect things that leave me sort of in this combination of awe and fear. Wildfire smoke breaking the ozone? I didn't even know that was a thing I was supposed to be or could be concerned about. I read today that the number one cause of uh, microplastics is like the comes off of people's tires, like the tire dust, basically. And it's like, we don't know what that's going to be like. Like in the 50s, we were all filled with lead and we were discovered how bad that was after multiple decades. We're currently all filled with microplastics, and we have no idea what kind of impact that's having. Oh, life goes on, Stefan. This 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 anxiety-ridden uh, approach to microplastics is, uh, I think, not the way. You got to embrace. You got to embrace. <laughs> embrace the embrace the twenty-first century, Stefan. How many times now have I like read a headline where it's like, "Heads up, babies are full of microplastics in ways that we didn't know of before," and it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm just I'm accepting the fact that." If I ever have a baby, that baby will be 50% plastic and I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll make it work. <laughs> Me and my plastic baby will work. There's a upcoming documentary that I'm hoping to get on the show at some point talking about sort of like the new kinds of fears new parents are having when considering children. And I think the fact that our babies will all be partially plastic has to register within these sets of fears. Nothing will stop the rolling out of the love, Stefan. Let the love continue. Will babies be more flammable if they're mostly plastic? Unclear. I mean, apparently forest fires can mess up the ozone. So at this point, I think anything's possible. That being said, keep babies away from open flame in general. Yes. Solid advice. I'm moving on. All right. Italy has put a 25 degree Celsius limit on air conditioning in order to ration energy as a result of the war in Ukraine. German climate activists turned off oil pipelines in five locations in late April, asking the government to look for clean alternatives to Russian gas, rather than doing more drilling. 100 EU cities have pledged carbon neutrality by 2030. That's good. Joe Biden made a pledge during his campaign to have no more drilling on federal lands. Stefan's favorite boy, Mr. Joe Biden. Punctuating his pledge by saying the word period four times. Uh, But he's now gone back on that and has opened up public lands for drilling. This also has something ostensibly to do with Ukraine. It was recently reported that the Democratic Party is having trouble mobilizing volunteers because the party has not kept so many of its promises. Uh, The Canadian company TC Energy and Williams Companies Incorporated have been ghostwriting politicians' letters of support for gas projects in Virginia and North Carolina. This is after that big pipeline was canceled, so now they're trying to get smaller guys going. 
Um, large parts of Alaska are collapsing in on themselves because the ground, the ground, <laughs> the ground is softening as permafrost thaws. So the ground's just sort of sinking. A recent poll, a recent report has say, is saying that small oil wells, uh, which collectively account for only six percent of oil production in the United States, are responsible for half of the country's methane emissions. This is because the smaller wells are often in a state of quote negligence and disrepair. The oil industry lobbied to exclude these wells from methane regulations because there are so many of them and they are difficult to monitor. And a new report out of Queen's University is saying that Canada will lose $2.8 trillion by 2100 if global warming rises beyond 2 degrees Celsius. And in a business as usual, they're saying $5.5 trillion. Yeah, well, it's good news that our federal government is taking climate change so seriously with Beidounar and TMX that we can avoid that $2.8 billion uh, of cost. But the one the one of the stories I want to briefly mention is that for the, all of the ways that that story about small oil production in the United States is depressing because it once again goes to show the number of ways in which basically business being like, it's hard is enough of an argument for governments to give up. That also means that you could reduce methane emissions in the United States by 50% if you just shut down 6% of oil production. That seems like a no-brainer. Well, before we go to the last thing, should we tell people that they can still donate at cat.fm, the sand of our city? I hope we haven't made this show as depressing as I felt it has been. But at the same time, these are important stories. Every one of them. Yeah, yeah. So the, the money does not go to us. Stefan's got his own money. <laughs> It makes me sound independently wealthy. I have a job. That's Stephen it. Stefan is independently wealthy. He's a salaried man. Stefan's our daddy. He controls the show. And the money is going to CIUT, the station, the community radio station. Yes, which is a charity, and you will get a tax street if you donate more than $20. There you go. So let's end this with some positive news. Okay. So, finally, a recent study out of the University of Maryland, is showing that growing a tall perennial grass, uh, this is a specific species whose Latin name I'm not going to say, on marginal land in the Midwestern United States, so this is land that's not really being used, it's like degraded, nobody wants it, could increase humidity, rainfall, and crop productivity, and lower regional warming between 0.5 and 1 degrees Celsius. So it's a very simple solution. It relates to a, a report that was put out a few weeks ago about forests and how about how about the way the war, the cooling effect that they have is not just because of the carbon that they're sucking. It's the whole system that they're helping create. So this is just this is just one species of tall perennial grass. A lot of benefits. Okay. Regional warming, that is, of course. Quebec has announced the largest purchase of new renewable electricity in its history. Uh, having fought for their right to harvest seafood for decades, five First Nations in B.C. are now finally able to start commercial crab fisheries. The Lennox Island First Nation in PEI has launched a fishery based on treaty rights without the consent of the government. So we'll see how that goes with the DFO. I'm glad we got to end on a positive note before going again to Tim Nash, uh, which is a great conversation with Tim Nash. Stick around for that in two seconds. But... One of the things I will mention about the grass story is I actually am very hopeful in terms of our ability to tackle climate change using these types of natural solutions. 
you know, every time I feel like we people talk about growing or bring more native plants or plants from the area that they're from growing out, you actually see these in the same way you see the sort of compounding negatives of forest fires during the ozone. You get compounding positives when you re bring back uh, native species into their original habitats. There you go. And so there are many examples of this. You know, you mentioned the forest from a couple of weeks ago. This is another one. And the, a lot of the places you see in like the, a lot of the work that is being done in, in, sorry, in farms, a lot of the work that's being done in, you know, urban parks and stuff like that is this work, trying to bring back native species and native animals back into the areas because they, again, have these similar knock-on benefits in different ways. And so natural solutions, for all the ways we make fun of just planting a billion trees, recreating ecosystems is, is, is legit, in my understanding. But over to you, Laura. Totally. Yeah. No, where I think, I think the only, um, like where my holdup is in addition to like issues around like indigenous land sovereignty and ownership and, and things around land back is to me where the problem comes in and where we start to make fun of something like the 2 billion trees is when it starts to be, is, is when land revitalization projects start to be used as an opportunity for like quote unquote offsetting or in any sort of carbon trading scheme. Right. Because like, it's, it's incredibly difficult to be able to effectively quantify the amount of carbon dioxide being sequestered by a given patch of land, given the variety of species and biodiversity and stuff. Like we, we know this um, over, over years of sort of like tracking uh, forest ability to sequester carbon in so-called Canada. Like there's there was this understanding for the longest time that Canada's forests were a carbon sink. And it only recently came to light maybe about a year ago now that in fact, due to gross mismanagement and things like wildfires and deforestation as a result of like man-made practices or human human-led practices our forests aren't the carbon sink that we thought they were so the fact that you might still be getting some corporations or companies or organizations using natural spaces as as a means of like like i said like a carbon trading mechanism or a carbon offset like that's where that's where the illegitimacy of like nature-based solutions might come into question but like I said, but but or, or rather, like you said, something like this, simply planting natural grasses, that's a that's a that's an excellent thing. That's the net positive. Nobody's saying that's not a good thing, and nobody's saying like we shouldn't be investing a lot of time and energy into better biodiversity management and like protecting natural spaces. It's just when you bring the financial aspect into things that I get my back up and people get worried. Basically, nothing should count as an offset. Like, but do good things because they're good. Yeah, exactly. Do good things because they're good. I mean, I know like a long time ago, and, and I think in some spaces they still are talked about this way, but it's like, there was this idea that like, oh, if we just sort of applied a monetary value to our natural spaces, we would value them more. And then we'd be able to like better protect them. And I don't actually think that's the case. I think what we've sort of realized, it's taken us probably too long to realize it, but like, no, by applying something a monetary value, it doesn't mean that we're going to inherently protect it or value it anymore. All it means is we're going to find a new and different way to exploit it from a cap, like within our capitalist system. So let's avoid, let's avoid bringing forests and natural spaces into carbon trading mechanisms. Anyway, sorry, that was yeah. tangential. Why should you pay $10,000 for a weekend at my Buddhist retreat? Have you ever heard of the idea that if you don't pay money for something, you don't value what you're doing with it? I mean, 
You're simply not going well, like, to achieve. David, I would pay a heck ton of money to go do like a silent retreat right now where I just get to like sit in the dark in a forest and I don't talk to anybody and nobody talks to me and I just get to like be by myself. Uh, you can do that for free. You can do that for free. <clears throat> that I guess what I'm paying for is the security of knowing that somebody's watching me to make sure I'm safe, but like from a distance, you know, wow. Virgin Radio. And with that, we're going to go another music break and Stefan's going to return speaking with Mr. Tim Nash. <laughs> become a bit of a tradition we are back with tim nash the record holder for most times on the show he was the founder and president of good investing thanks so much for joining us tim Stefan, thanks so much for having me here i love doing these fundraiser shows although i feel like you only have me on when you're asking people for money <laughs> i mean you know about money this is how this works you know about <laughs> money we need money it all circles back so Yes. So we do want to talk about investing, but briefly, I should do a short pitch because I didn't say how you can donate if you want to donate to CIUT, which is by going to CIUT.FM and clicking donate, and you can donate there. Double points if you tell us that Green Majority is your favorite show, and triple points if you say that Tim Nash is your favorite guest. <laughs> um, but to show the value of this, let's talk about sustainable investing or investing in generally, actually, which is, I think, the first question here, because it's a weird time in the markets, as I understand. <laughs> Can you explain what's going on, how it's been, and what's up? Oof. Uh, it's, it's a tough time in the markets right now, no doubt. Really, the last four months, everything is down. So stocks are bonds, stocks are down, bonds are down, you know, cryptocurrencies are down. You know, you name it, probably real estate is down, although we don't get the sort of real-time data when it comes to housing prices. But really, it's it's a very unique situation where the best performing asset class over, let's say, the last four months has been cash, which, you know, cash interest rates are so low, people are getting almost nothing on cash right now. It's a terrible place to keep all your money most of the time. And yet here we are in a very unique situation as we start to come out of the pandemic, but not quite. China is still in lockdowns. We had the war starting in Europe, and you know that has been a, a really big drain on a lot of resources, had a huge impact on oil prices. Uh, we're starting to see inflation and prices going up, and I think people are really concerned about that. But it puts the Bank of Canada in a really tough place right now where they know they need to raise interest rates and they've started to and the expectations are that they will continue to raise interest rates rather aggressively. But the economy is still feels a little bit precarious and that you know certainly the stock market had done so well post-COVID 
that this is really sort of a, a coming back to earth. The pendulum has swung the other way. And especially for a lot of these high risk assets. So a lot of the pandemic darlings, you know, things like Zoom or Peloton, you know, a lot of these companies that just were sort of pandemic plays, you know, and the valuation just went so up, those things have come back. But really there, there hasn't been a safe haven over the last four months that you would have been better off stashing that cash under your mattress, which is a very rare occurrence. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. I don't have that crystal ball, but I do feel that historians, you know, we're, are gonna be looking at this time and, and sort of studying it as a very unique time in our economic history. Yeah, it's, it's a booming moment for mattress investors, you know, I gotta say. I mean, it's truly fair. If you told me that the time for mattress investing would be directly after a global pandemic and during a war, I, I might have, I, that makes some sense to me in my imagination, but I think my imagination is not the stock market, nor reality. <laughs> but yeah, and so as you mentioned, again, everything's been going sort of bit haywire. And, you know, I think right around this time last year, maybe a little bit earlier, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly, we had you on because at that moment, oil prices were, I believe, negative money. Like they were literally trying to give away oil to get them off barges that were just sort of floating in the Pacific Ocean. March of 2020, that's right. Yeah, right. And how things have changed in one year, you know, with, with all the ways. And so how are you seeing from a sustainability standpoint as well, what are yeah. the impacts of the skyrocketing rocketing price of oil? Right. So the good news is that since that talk in March of 2020, sustainable investments popped and the amount of money flowing into green sectors and green companies absolutely popped. Now, it did reach a peak right when Biden got elected. So I think that was sort of November of 2020. And then as things, as, as the U.S. didn't materialize as the, the climate champion, you know, things have fallen back down. But the amount of money that got put into green sectors in that time was phenomenal. And I think we're going to see a lot of those seeds start to sprout and germinate. You know, that now all of that money flowing into green sectors happened. Now, part of the reason why all that money flew into green sectors was because oil was a terrible investment. It was at such low prices. And that now, you know, I think what everyone's talking about to a large degree in, in a lot of the headlines is gas prices. And obviously the price of oil is now more than $100 per barrel, which is a pretty high point. And part of this is because of reduced supply that we basically want to cut off Russia from the global oil markets. But a lot of countries have put embargoes to, to different degrees, but that, that has a huge impact on the supply of oil in the market. But also, I think as a bit of a, a policy failure to some degree or for environmentalists is that we haven't reduced demand that we're still burning as much as we have been in the past, if not a little bit more, that we're kind of back up to those demand levels. And so to me, it's just really this, you know, if we want to get off of oil, if that is the point, then certainly what we really need to be focused on is reducing demand. To me, that's a little bit of a no-brainer. Now, these higher oil prices, it's a, an interesting situation because as a sort of sustainable economist, I'm not adverse to high oil prices. I know it's hard on a lot of people's budgets, and I recognize that. That said, you know, if, if the goal is to have substitutes and to reduce demand for fossil fuels, then hey, having it at a really high price, you know, that's a good thing. The problem is that where is that money going to? 
It's not paying for the pollution. You know, the carbon tax is a tiny fraction of that. You know, it's going to the producers. A big chunk of it is going to the refiners right now. They're, the margin on refining oil is very, very large at the moment. And these energy companies are having record profits and free cash flow with oil at this level. So for me, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I don't mind that oil prices are this high. I think that will speed up the transition to the green economy, that more people are talking about getting a hybrid car, more people are talking about heat pumps, like when the heck did heat pumps become sexy? But they are right now because the price of energy is so high. At the same time, it means that investors in energy investors, you know, if you own those stocks, you're making a lot of money. Those returns have been really high. And that for those of us who have divested from fossil fuels, I mean, certainly we missed all of those crashes that have happened over the last decade or whatever, but we're also missing this surge when it comes to this. And that, you know, to me, just the irony of the situation right now is that we have in the same news articles, you know, these companies, these CEOs sort of crowing about their record profits and earnings, but at the same time saying, well, but we need these massive subsidies for carbon sequestration, right? And that, oh, by the way, thank you for that massive subsidy where you cleaned up all of our dirty wells for us because there was that moment when we weren't making any money when it was. And so we went begging about these jobs to be able to get you to pay to clean up those wells. And I'm so glad you paid that for us. So, you know, real disconnect right now in terms of, I think the, the policy of what we sort of ought to be doing and versus what we have been doing. And, you know, it is a tough time to be a sustainable investor. If you divested from fossil fuels, you know, the last four months you have underperformed as well military stocks. Like I don't want to own that stuff, but military stocks have done well, you know, over the last few months. And that to me, you know, it's, I feel fine knowing that, okay, I've lost a little bit more than everyone else, but I'm sort of not counting my profits from military and oil companies, but it has been a, a rough time for sustainable investors. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like from a sustainable investing perspective, there is something heartening about not making a ton of money from a war. Like if war isn't good for you personally, I think that's maybe a good sign you're doing something right. But to go back, it's amazing how much our society likes to crow about the free market and yet subsidizes seemingly both sides of oil consumption. Like we can't not give money to oil companies when their stocks are down and we can't not give money to people to pay the oil companies when oil is high. You know, we've seen in the past that the only times that people have actually gotten smaller vehicles have been, have been oil prices. Almost every other policy has not actually pushed people out of these ever-growing car sizes, except for times when oil prices skyrocket. Those are the times when smaller vehicles and, and other options have, have done well. And yet even now, this is happening and what we're doing and we're seeing in a number of places, it's like, okay, let's give people money to pay for it instead of being like, maybe this is your moment to not be driving this car. But piling on to that concern right now, last couple of months of cinema saying, you know, caused by this war is also the ways in which the the right wing and especially the states have sort of started attacking sustainable investing or, you know, we've seen these things about how like they've been going after and saying you basically arguing that these people are trying to divest or trying to invest more sustainably 
are they're actually trying to ban them from doing this like but again it's yeah. this weird idea that we are a little free society unless you do something we don't like and then therefore you have these republican governors actively trying to regulate institutions to not invest sustainably because they've decided that, that is somehow quote unquote woke and it, that to me is bonkers yeah, I mean, me too. I spent the first parts of my career just completely getting ignored. You know, like no one knew what the heck I was talking about. What's what's the old expression? Like first they ignore you and then they laugh at you. And oh, I'm sure I've been laughed at so many times. And then they fight you, which is I think where we are now. And, and then you win. So, you know, it's been really interesting for me again from the deaths of 2020, the rise of sustainable investing. And the huge number of assets falling in and the huge number of adoption of responsible investment strategies you know, all this thing that's going on and that now we are starting to get a backlash from that. And I think it's part of a larger sort of, I don't know what to call it, debate or division within society of these competing worldviews where I think, you know, you and I, and I'm assuming most of our listeners are on the side of the equation that is for progress and uh, evolving and understanding that we have to live in harmony with each other, with other people and with the planet. And that, you know, really that those things should come before economic profits versus another worldview, which really puts profits and economic activity as the sort of be all end all the most important thing and that everything else is almost subservient to that. And so that really, you know, in my mind, it's been so interesting watching a lot of these criticisms of sustainable investing and ESG pop up. But what I'm finding is that a lot of the people that are doing it just don't, they kind of, they use a broad brushstroke, right? They sort of want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and that they don't have a nuanced understanding of what it actually is. And, you know, to see the, the sort of malignment of ESG alongside issues like critical race theory, that that became CRT and something that people could really rally against, you know, again, there, there's a lack of a nuanced understanding of what that actually is. And a lot of people just kind of want to ban it outright. And I'm seeing a lot of the same pushback against sustainable investing, whereas obviously there is a much more nuanced approach. There are different approaches. There are different tactics. Hey, if you don't want divestment, that's okay. You can do shareholder engagement. Or like there's this really cool piece around impact investing where you can do community bonds and green bonds. Like if you're really worried about impact and saving the world. And hey, actually my solar bonds and community bonds have been better for me than cash over the last four months. So that was actually a better mattress was to, you you know, stash it in a, a community bond. And so, you know, really it's a very interesting time that we're in right now where I think there is a tension between people who are trying to build a better world and are using levers like government and consumption patterns and, you know, choosing what jobs and companies they're working for and as well their investments, how they invest their money versus people who are really dead set on the status quo saying, you know, well, this is the way it's been. We're dependent on energy. So we need to keep doing that where, you know, these power structures have existed for a while. And we want to keep those power structures in place. 
And so it's a really interesting time for me, you know, but I also think that it's never been more important to start sustainable investing. And in fact, the fact that energy is so high and military companies are so high, if, you know, you've thought about divesting, but you haven't done it yet, now might be a really good time. Obviously, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know for sure. But, you know, if we want to talk about sort of the, the carbon bubble or these types of things, that carbon bubble is very big, it then deflated, it has now sort of reinflated, it could keep getting bigger, but that really there is a, a bit of a battle happening right now about the future of the economy and the dynamic between sort of shareholder capitalism, which is about maximizing returns to shareholders versus stakeholder capitalism, which is more about, you know, recognizing that people in the planet, that these are stakeholders that matter as well, you know, and then obviously there are, you know, I think some people and probably some listeners that want to get rid of capitalism altogether and move to something else, which, you know, I certainly wouldn't advise. But when we see how just how bad things are getting, I just worry that we are headed in a direction where, you know, if we don't get this stuff sorted out, it, it really does feel like we're running out of time. Yeah, for sure. And so speaking of investing in good things, this is a wonderful segue into investing in community radio, namely CIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city fundraising drive. Tim, can you give me a, a short pitch as to why you think listeners should help support the show and the radio station in general? Well, you're listening to it, aren't you? You know, if you're hearing my voice right now, if you're spending this time with us, then you know the benefit of community radio. And so really the question is, how much does it matter to you? How much is that worth to you? Do you care about that? That, you know, this is a listener-supported radio station. And so it only works if listeners support. I am a listener and I'm happy to support and sort of make my contribution. I got a lovely t-shirt for my last contribution. I think it only came about a month ago. I feel like there might have been a bit of a supply chain issue there with the t-shirts, but I did get my t-shirt and I, I wear it proudly. And uh, I think there are some perks for this fundraiser, aren't there? What are what do people get if they donate this time? Oh yeah, they get... A whole bunch of opportunities. So if people donate $89.50, which makes you become a member of CIUT, you also can win some of these great prizes, which include a few different types of pedal assist bikes. There's a sport and trail bike. There's a folding uh, fat tire pedal bike. And there's also a, a sort of step through city pedal assist bike. So three different types of, of pedal and assist bikes. pedal assist. That's a big deal. Yeah. There's that giant hill going up, you know, right when you sort of whatever, St. Clair I mean, and that Yeah, St. Clair. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I lived up there. You got to have that pedal assist. I mean, I, right? I was to go back to your conversation briefly about about reducing emissions and reducing demand, there is almost nothing I've seen as impactful to bring people to getting other cars as effectively as pedal assist bikes. Right. You know, you can bike if you want, but then also if you need to get somewhere real quick, you can just fly off, you know, and, and go that speed. Truly, I think is one of the one of the innovations we have to invest in more, I think, yeah. in terms of getting people out of their cars. No doubt, especially for all these delivery services, right? Like totally. so all the Uber Eats and all that thing, like really to me having a bike lane system so that everybody's safe, but then having, you know, accessibility to those issues. To me, that's an absolute no brainer. Yeah, exactly. And then other things you can get include three nights at Legacy Suites and, I, and some wine and cheese 
packages from Wander Wanchis, and then festival passes to the Northern Lights Festival Boreal. Wow. Uh, which is in Northern Ontario. Yeah, check it out. Amazing. Uh, that sounds really good. I mean, Northern Ontario is beautiful. And I think, you know, something that's happened during the pandemic is a lot less people getting on airplanes to go on their vacations and, you know, opting to stay a little more local. There is so much of this beautiful province to discover. So uh, awesome. Good to know. I'll cross my fingers and hope that I win. I think the pedal assist bike has to be the number one thing. Is that what you would take? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, again, I'm, I, I like my regular bike, but I, my pedals, this bike, you can go so much further. And again, that hill, I lived up St. Clair for a while and I will promise you that the number of times I wish I could just turn on that pedal assist was huge. And you can do that by donating right now, either by going to CIUT.FM and click donate, or there are a few volunteers who are in-house at 416-946-7800, which you can call and donate directly, but it is problem certainly easier to do so online. And so we highly encourage encourage to go to CIT.fm to donate there. And thank you so much, Tim. I'll give you a last word in half a second, but this has been Tim Nash, founder and president of Good Investing. And yes, Tim, take it away. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, just want to remind people when it comes to investing, it's such a long-term thing, right? So these short-term fluctuations, we just got to ride them out. You just got to hang in there, you know, stick with the game plan, understand that the, this is a long-term approach, but definitely it's been a bit of a roller coaster.